All right, well, happy Sunday. So glad that you're with us today at Life Center, whether you're watching online or you're here in the house. Thrilled that you've taken a part of your day to be with us. In a moment, we're going to jump into our next part of a series that we've been journeying through on the book of Judges. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those, get those ready. I know many of you, you're like, Tyler, I already have my Bible. It's on my phone. Whether you have it on your phone or you got one of these old school things, would love for you to grab that because we're going to take some time to dig into that today. On that note, I want to just remind us why we look to the scriptures every single week. It's not just because this book has some inspirational stories or some concepts for you to like get better in life. We actually go to this book because it claims that there was a man a few thousand years ago who claimed to be the son of God, but he was put to death and that he rose again. And if that's true, it changes everything. It changes everything. And that's because he also, Jesus himself, said that all of the Old Testament, it points and speaks about him. So that's why, for, I've met a lot of people throughout the years who were like, well, Tyler, all I do is read the New Testament. That's okay to start there, but it's important for us to understand how the whole piece of Scripture works together. This library of Scripture, multiple books written by multiple authors over a period of 1,600 years, all works together as one unified story that points us to Jesus. And so we believe that around here, and that's why we're taking time to dig into the book of Judges. Judges is an Old Testament book. In other words, it's a story about this Hebrew people, these Israelite people, and the covenant that God made with them, and what life is like after they've been delivered out of slavery in the land of Egypt, and they've walked into a land that God had promised their ancestor named Abraham. The judges are people that God raised up to be deliverers because the Israelites, they continue in this pattern that we'll talk about in a moment. But in the book of Judges, in chapter 17, verse 6, we see an important description of what's going on in that culture, in that time period within Israel. It says this, Judges chapter 17, verse 6, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. Now, this is writing about multiple thousands of years ago, and it's, it's written in that time period. It's an ancient text. It's an ancient people. But how many of you know that's not an ancient truth? There's a lot of that today. Everybody does what seems right to them, and we live in a culture, we live in a world that, that kind of idolizes the self. I want to do what I want to do. I want to be able to call the shots. I want to define what's right and what's wrong as I See it, and this is what's going on in this time and place in the book of Judges. And so today I want to continue on in this study. We're going to look at a judge. His name is Gideon. Can you say Gideon? And today I've titled this message, What Do I Do With My Doubt? What do I do with my doubt? Now, here's what I know. Part of being human is you're going to hear multiple voices in your life. You're going to have voices that will be encouragements. You're going to have voices that will be negative or pessimistic. But one of the shared voices that we all experience is this voice called 
doubt. Most of the time, we should avoid listening to the voice of doubt, but the summer of my fifth grade year, I wish I would have listened to that voice of doubt. See, the summer of my fifth grade year, by this point in my life, I had perfected standing on a diving board and doing the most beautiful front flip that anybody had ever seen. I mean, it was glorious. I I, I had it dialed in, just timed perfect, where, where I would tuck coming off of the diving board. My feet would land, hitting the water perfect, almost no splash, and I just expected people to be applauding me. In the summer after my fifth grade, I remember being at the Furcrest swimming pool. Anybody remember the old school Furcrest swimming pool? I mean, that's that's when it was the real thing. Uh, Furcrest swimming pool, back then, they not only had a normal diving board, they had a High dive. How many of you remember the high dive at Furcrest? And I remember one time swimming there with a group of friends, and they were amazed. They were literally blown away by my ability to do a flip off of the diving board. And then one of my friends said, I bet you won't do a front flip off the high dive. And I looked at him and I said, I bet you I will. <laughs> and so I remember that moment walking, getting in line, and, and you know, what I realized is looking up at the high dive was radically different than actually your experience on the top of the high dive. That, that was new information to me. Nobody told me that. But I remember beginning to climb up that ladder on the high dive, and all of a sudden I get to the top of the high dive, and it feels like it's really windy up there. I feel all exposed. I'm looking down, I'm going, this, this looks a lot higher than... Then it did down below, and, but now all my friends are watching, and I can't back down. And, and, but there's this voice inside of me. Don't do this, Tyler. I doubt this is going to turn out like you want it, Tyler. I doubt this is wisdom, Tyler. And I just had to silence the voice of doubt. And I walked out to the edge of that diving board and and I prepared just like I always did and and got these little quads ready to go and and kind of springing the board. This is like like 65 pound Tyler, okay? So I think the lifeguards were nervous about how windy it was that day. But here I am and and finally I was like, okay, if, if I walk back down the ladder, I will never hear the end of this. And so what did I do? I got ready and I jumped and I tucked Same perfect form that I always had. As I'm beginning to make the final part of the full revolution, I straighten my legs out, ready to enter the water with no splash, but there was a problem that day, friends. My legs didn't touch the water. I was still in the air. And my 65-pound body was still rotating. And that day, I did a full one and a quarter For those of you who don't know what a one and a quarter is, a one is a flip, a one and a half is a flip and a dive, a one and a quarter is a flip and a belly flop. And when all 65 pounds of me hit the water, there was like this echo, this reverberation that went through Pierce County. No doubt people were like, what was that, you know? I remember hitting the water and just wanting to sink to the bottom of the pool and just stay there forever. 
But I swam over to the side, pulled myself out, and I looked down, and this little kid, the shades of red on my body, it was the most painful thing. That day, I wish I would have listened to the voice of doubt. But I think those are rare occasions. Usually when we listen to the voice of doubt, we end up regretting it. We end up missing out. There, there's moments, there's opportunities that, that we could have seized, but, but we miss out on them because of this noisy thing called doubt. Today we're going to read about a man named Gideon who, who wrestled with this. And Gideon, who is he? He's, he's one of God's chosen people that God elevates or raises up to be a deliverer in Israel. Why does Israel need a deliverer? Well, we see this cycle happen again and again. We've gone to this every week, but look at this cycle that happens throughout the book of Judges with Israel. Israel decides they're going to serve the Lord, but the problem is they forget about God. And that always leads them to this place of choosing sin and idolatry. And the problem is, even though some of us, we believe that if we just get to have our own way, if we could just write our own path, then we would be happy. But the problem is, whenever we choose self-rule, instead of coming under God's rule, it always leads to this place of oppression and ultimately slavery to sin. Things get bad enough in Israel, well, they'll finally raise up their voice, they'll cry out to God, and God is faithful. He continues to raise up deliverers, and that's what we're about to see, God raises up a deliverer. The people get set free and then they say something like this. Maybe you've said this. God, thank you. I will never do that again. And it lasts for a few years with Israel until they're right back in the same cycle. And as we've talked about, this isn't just a cycle in Israel that we read about in the book of Judges. This is actually a cycle in our human condition. And it makes us long for not just temporary deliverance, but a true and better deliverance. What does that mean? Well, as we read the book of Judges, it makes us long for somebody who could actually set us free, not just for a moment, but for forever. And I have good news. That judge has come. His name is Jesus. <laughs> and he's provided the deliverance for us that our hearts long for. See, what's amazing to me as I read through this pattern in Israel and I see the patterns in my own lives, I become very thankful for this attribute that God has. What is that? It's this thing called mercy. Anybody else thankful that God is merciful? But as we're about to see, God, God's merciful with Israel, but what we need to understand today is God's mercy calls for movement. God's mercy in our lives, it's not just there to help us feel better about where we're at or just to help us feel good while we're stuck. No, God's mercy shows up so that we can move from where we are. Look with me to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 6, as we look at a life of a guy named Gideon. Starting in verse 1, it says this, The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, if you've been here the last few weeks, you feel like I'm reading the same verse over and over. I'm not. It's just repeated over and over throughout the book of Judges. Here's the cycle. Israel, again, is in this place. So the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years, and they oppressed Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. 
Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, they came, they attacked them, they encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land, even as far as Gaza. They left nothing. Can you say nothing? They left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. So not only is all their food gone, but their ability to plow the ground and provide more food is also gone with it. For the Midianites, they came with their cattle and their tents like great, a great swarm of locusts. I want you to notice that last statement. That the Midianites showed up like a great swarm of locusts. The people, they cry out to God. Jump down to verse 7. It says this, when the Israelites cried out to him because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to them. He said to them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. I rescued you from the power of Egypt and from the power of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land you live in, but you did not obey me. Something important is taking place here. Why? Because the prophet that God raises up reminds Israel, listen, God rescued you out of Egypt. He delivered you. He actually sent plagues. What was one of those plagues? It was the plague of locusts that destroyed all of the food and all of the crops. And God promised the people before they entered this promised land that this land would be an abundant land. It would be like a land flowing with milk and honey. See, here's the point. The land that was supposed to be like a land flowing with milk and honey now looks a lot like Egypt. In other words, what God had already delivered them from, they find themselves becoming. I already pulled you out of Egypt, but now your land is beginning to look like that. Why? Because you are rebelling against me. You see, we're about to meet this man named Gideon, the one that God chose to deliver Israel, but there's a few things that I think we should know about Gideon before we begin to look at the scripture and see kind of the, the context of his life. Number one is this. You need to know this about Gideon. He's living in perpetual fear. You think about the ideal person that God should raise up and use, somebody who never has doubt, never has fear, but Gideon, perpetual fear. In fact, we're going to see three different scenes. One, Gideon is threshing his, his food, his wheat, but he's doing it in a wine press to stay hidden because he's scared of the Midianites coming and stealing his food. The next scene, we're going to see God tell Gideon, you need to go tear down the idols and the altars that your father's family have, have kind of embraced in their lives because it's false worship. And so Gideon, he does it, but he does it at night. Why? Because he's afraid. Next scene, we'll see Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon him. He'll gather the army of Israel together. But then, just to make sure that he heard God correctly, Gideon's going to place a fleece out on the ground to see if, if God is actually speaking. Gideon... He's living with perpetual fear. Can you say fear? Not only that, Gideon is full of doubt. Can you say doubt? Here's the crazy thing to me. Gideon is full of doubt regardless of what God does for him. 
God continues to show up. God's patient with him. God gives Gideon clarity on who he's called to be. God responds to Gideon's request. And no matter what God does, you seem to have an individual that's committed to doubt. Third thing we need to know about Gideon is Gideon tests God. He continues to ask God. He continues to test God. But, but sometimes what we lose sight of is that God then returns the favor. God tests Gideon. God gives Gideon an opportunity, and, and here's the point. At a very real level, we're seeing God challenge Gideon to grow up in his faith. To grow up in his faith. Today, I want to be clear about something. Doubt is real. Every single person in this room, at some level, with some circumstance or situation, you have you are or you will face this thing called doubt. And that's just a part of the human condition. If you're there now, hey, you're in good company because you're surrounded with people who have had moments of doubt, are in a moment of doubt, or will face a moment of doubt. But today I want us to notice a number of things that happened for Gideon a man who seems to be crippled by perpetual fear and doubt, regardless of what God does for him, because God continues to provide some things for him. The first thing that God provides is his voice. The voice of God shows up for Gideon over and over and over and over again. And what's the principle for us? Well, the principle for us is this. The voice of faith has to be louder than the voice of insecurity in our lives. At some point, the, the voice of faith has to become louder than that voice of insecurity. You see, it seems like the antidote to fear and doubt, according to what we're about to read with Gideon, it's not actually found in the things that we receive. It's actually the antidote to fear and doubt is what we listen to what we listen to. You see, the voice of God, though it was speaking, it seemed to be drowned out in Gideon's life by some other voices. The voice of his circumstances. The voice of his self-talk. The voice of his insecurity. You see, here's what I learned a long time ago. What you listen to shapes what you believe. What you listen to it shapes what you believe, and here's what we need to understand why that's so important, because on the other side of what you believe, it's shaping who you're becoming. And so ultimately, what you listen to shapes what you do. I remember when I was a young youth pastor just starting in youth ministry, and I was learning my, my own voice and how I wanted to preach. And there was a certain preacher that I watched a lot. And I was like, oh, man, I just love how they preach. I love their energy. But he used some words that weren't in my normal, common phrasing. But one Wednesday night after our youth ministry, I remember uh, getting done preaching a message. And I feel like I just, man, I just crushed that. Just crushed it. I had a bunch of students walk up to me like, uh, Tyler, why did you keep saying this phrase like we've never heard you say that before and I'm like what are you talking about I didn't say that and they're like no we counted you said it like 30 times <laughs> and in that moment I, I stepped back and I was like oh my goodness I I didn't realize that what I was listening to was actually shaping what I was 
doing. Here's what is happening for Gideon. God's voice continues to show up. God shows up in some pretty incredible ways because in this opening scene in Judges chapter 6, Gideon is hiding. He's afraid. And he's there threshing the wheat in a wine press, which would be very difficult because a wine press was dug out. It was below the, the wind so it could be hidden. And understand, in order to thresh things, you need some wind to blow away the chaff. But there's Gideon. And listen to how the voice of God addresses Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verse 12. It says this, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Valiant warrior. He's hiding. He's afraid. And yet the voice of God shows up and, and Gideon replies, listen, if the Lord is with us, why? If the Lord is with us, why is this going on? And I know Gideon's probably the only human who's ever had that kind of experience where you said, okay, Tyler, you're, you're talking about God is good, but if God was so good, why? God is with us. If God is with us, why is this going on? See, the voice of God shows up for Gideon, but Gideon doubts. Gideon doubts. Skip down to verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. You think at this point, okay, God showed up miraculously while I'm hiding out. He already called me mighty warrior, so maybe I need to see myself the way God sees me. But Gideon's not done arguing with God. Gideon then says, listen, if you're sending me, I think you got the wrong guy because I'm the weakest guy in my family. My family's the weakest in our tribe. I think you've got the wrong person. And God replies in verse 16, and here's what God says to him. Gideon, I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. But then Gideon said, if I've found favor with you, give me a sign. So for Gideon, the sign that God shows up while he's in a wine press, that's not enough. The fact that God calls him mighty warrior, that's not enough. That God said, I'm sending you, that's not enough. The fact that God said, I'm actually going with you, that's not enough. Now Gideon wants a sign. God, prove it. You got to prove it. So listen to this, verse 18. Gideon says, please do not leave this place until I return to you. Let me bring you my gift and set it before you. And God said, I will stay until you return. The voice of God continues to show up in Gideon's life. But here's the problem. Even though God's voice is speaking, the voice of insecurity is louder in Gideon's life. Can I remind us, this is why we need biblical community. We are not called to journey with Jesus alone or isolated. We need to be gathered together in relationship with other followers of Jesus. Why? Because there's times in my life where the voice of insecurity will be screaming in my ear, and I need somebody around me to point my attention back to the voice of faith what God has actually called me to do, who he's called and created me to be. We all need others who will speak truth to us. We need people around us who can point us back to the voice of God in our lives, amen? So the voice of God shows up for Gideon, but also notice this, that the patience of God 
continues to show up. Anybody else thankful that God is patient? I mean, when I read this story, I have to sit, sit back and just kind of laugh and go, man, God, you are so much more patient than I am. God's patience shows up. And here's the principle for us about the patience of God. Doubt is a fine place to start, but it's a horrible place to stay. If you're wrestling with doubt today, that's a fine place to start, but understand, it's a horrible place to stay. Gideon, he continues to doubt. He's doubting at the wine press. He's doubting in the assignment that God gave him to tear down his family's idols. He's doubting even as he lays out a fleece before the Lord. Here's the good news. God will meet you where you are at. But he's not interested in leaving you there. Today, God will meet you right where you are at. He's not looking for perfect people, and I want to remind you, there are none. God will meet you right where you're at, but he's not interested in allowing you to just set up shop there. You see, that, that mercy that he has for us, it invites us to begin to take steps and move forward in this journey with him. Skip down to verse 36 of Judges chapter 6. It says this, it says earlier that the Spirit of the Lord had come on Gideon and he gathered the army, literally in the Hebrew language, it says that the Spirit of God enveloped or wrapped himself around Gideon. Gideon's experiencing the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But then in verse 36, look at what Gideon says to God. He says, if, can you say if? <laughs> if you will deliver Israel by my hand, as you said, I will put a wool fleece here on the threshing floor. If dew is only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, I will know that you will deliver Israel by my strength as you had said. So Gideon, what does he do? He grabs a, a fleece. He says, all right, God, I know that you spoke to me at the wine press. I know that you called me to tear down the idols. You've continued to show up. Your spirit just came on me. The whole army is here, but... But God, here's what I need to know, and I'm, I'm going to lay a fleece before you. And if you're actually asking me to do this, here, here's what I need you to do, God. I need you to make the fleece soaking wet, but all the ground around it dry. This is shocking to me. Look what it says. Verse 38. And that is what happened. God was patient with Gideon. How many of you, if, if somebody asks you like the same thing more than three times, you're like, clearly you don't get it. You're done <laughs> out. See, this, this is so important for us to understand because if we walk away going, oh, what's the moral of the story? I'm supposed to be more like Gideon. No, you are not. You're not supposed to be more like Gideon. But God is patient, isn't he? That is what happened. When he got up early in the morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung the dew out of it, filling a bowl with water. Gideon then said to God, don't be angry with me. Let me speak one more time. Please allow me to make one more test with the fleece. Let it remain dry and the dew all over the ground. I know none of us have ever had this conversation with God. God, thanks for answering that prayer. But now if you could just. And again, this is shocking to me. Verse 40. 
That night, God did what Gideon requested. Only the fleece was dry and the dew was all over the ground. Here's the point. Gideon was full of doubt regardless of what God has done for him. How many times, especially for those of us who maybe been around church for a while, we've, we've heard people encourage us, well, why don't you just put a fleece before the Lord? Just, just put a fleece out before God and, and see what his... Friends, that's not the point of this story. In fact, I, I just heard recently a story of a gentleman who came to faith in Jesus during his college years, and one of the first messages he ever heard was on the story of Gideon. And he assumed that's what the story's all about. And so he went back to his dorm that night, grabbed a t-shirt, and rain was in the forecast. And outside of his dorm room window, he tied this shirt to the fence, knowing that rain was going to come that night. And he had this big prayer request, something I'm sure really spiritual. God, would you do this? And da, da, da. And if it's your will, Lord, let the shirt be dry. <laughs> he falls asleep that night, wakes up the next morning, excited to just tell and testify of the miracles of God. And opens up his window and his shirt is laying in a mud puddle. <laughs> you see, understand, the point is not for us to, to be a little bit more like Gideon because here's what I've seen in my own life. Maybe you can identify. Many times I'm convinced that, God, if you will just, and fill in the blank, God, if you will just, I will never doubt or fear again. God, if you will just provide in this moment, if you will just heal in this moment, if you will just do in this moment, then I will never have another question or doubt or fear again. Can I say something that none of us are going to like? No, you won't. We will doubt again. We will fear again. Why? Because it's part of being human. But this makes me realize I'm a lot like Gideon. I'm a lot like Gideon. And what that means is I need a deliverer. I need somebody who will not just free me from my circumstances. I need somebody who will actually set me free and deliver me from my doubts and my fears. And friends, I have good news. There's one person who can do that. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the true deliverer. And we can come again and again and give our doubts to him and give our fears to him and, and allow him to remove those things as we experience his mercy and walk forward in this relationship with him. We, we see the voice of God continue to show up for Gideon. We see the patience of God continue to show up for Gideon. But we also see the provision of God continue to show up. The provision. What's the principle for us? Often we want God to change what's around us, but he wants to change what's in us. He wants to change what's in us. You see, Gideon, in the story that follows, Gideon, he, he's blown the trumpet, he's gathered the army of Israel, and, and he has gathered a massive army. How many of you know, if you're going into battle, it's always good for you to have more people than your opponent has? And Gideon's got a huge army. And now the man who tests God, God returns the favor. And he looks at Gideon and he says, Gideon, your army's too big. 
What? That does not make sense. How, how can an army be too, how can you have too many people? And God says to Gideon, Gideon, you got too many. Send everybody home who's afraid. And that day, his army's like cut it in half, gone. And Gideon's like, are you kidding me? And then God says, hey, Gideon, guess what? And Gideon's like, what, what, what? Your army's still too big. It's too big. So God provides another test, and the army keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller until Gideon is left with himself and 300 men. And God says, now you got it. 300. You see, God is wanting Gideon to get to this place where he understands the victory is not going to be because of his strength, his ingenuity, his leadership. This is going to be because of God's ability to deliver. Said a different way, there's no way that Gideon can do this. And that's the point. For our lives, there's no way we can do this. And that's the point. I, I can't do this in my own strength. I can't do this through my own efforts or ingenuity, creativity, leadership. I need a God who can rescue. And friends, that is the point. Gideon, he wins this battle without ever drawing a sword. And just in case we think that, like, for Gideon, because God answered the prayer with the fleece that he wasn't doubting anymore, it's not true. Keep reading the story. In fact, Gideon calls together people, <laughs> and he, he now has this army around him, but he says to God, God, how do I know that you're actually going to help us win? And God doesn't get angry. Gideon, after everything I've shown you, are you kidding me? That's not God's response. What happens is God says, why don't you go down to the enemy's camp tonight and you're going to overhear something that will be a catalyst to build your faith. You will know that I've delivered Midian into your hand. And that's exactly what Gideon does. Gideon returns. He gathers his army together now of 300 people. And they go into battle. Their only weapons, trumpets, and torches. There's a battle plan for you. We're going to scare them to death by blasting our trumpets. No. I mean, can, can you imagine the, the game plan, the strategy that God gives you? Doo, 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 doo. Like, that, that's how we're going to win? Trumpets and torches, 300 men gathered together on the valley ridge overlooking the enemy's camp. And at the same time, they break the clay pot that's covering the light of the torch and they shout and they blow the trumpets and it sends the enemy's army into confusion and they end up slaughtering themselves. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Gideon and his troops never even draw a sword to win this battle. The battle was the Lord's. And God was still willing to use somebody who had perpetual fear, Perpetual doubt, but God was not content to leave him there. 
See, even though Gideon didn't get it right, God was gracious. God was patient. God was merciful. But don't miss the fact that God still wanted Gideon to move. He wanted to change Gideon, not just Gideon's circumstances. And today, you might be plagued with fear. You might be plagued with doubt. And if that's where you're at, it's okay to be there. You just can't stay there. Why? Because you have a God who has provided mercy, and that mercy isn't just to help you feel comfortable in staying in that place of doubt. It's to empower you to move and to trust and to journey with him as he proves himself faithful. See, our receiving from God should adjust our believing about God. And this is something that Gideon never understood. He continued to receive from God, but it never adjusted what he believed about God. Today, understand, for our doubt, what has God given us? God has given us his voice. Well, Tyler, I don't hear the voice of God. You can hear the voice of God. He wants to speak to you through the scriptures, through his spirit, through being around brothers and sisters in Christ. He, he wants to speak to you. For our doubt, he's given his voice. And for our doubt, guess what else he's given? He's given his patience. So thankful we have examples like this where Gideon, he continues to be wrapped up with doubt and God continues to show up and be patient to bring him along and give him mercy so that he will move in the direction that God wants him to move. But also understand for our doubt, God has given us his provision. And the greatest provision that he's ever provided is the work that Jesus did for us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. That's what the story points us towards because there's a true and greater judge coming who will not be filled with fear, but will be filled with faith. He will say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And he will accomplish the task in front of him. Friends, that's our hope today. So the message is not, hey, be more like Gideon. No, understand, God has mercy. He has mercy for us. Even in the midst of our doubt, he's got mercy. And for our forward movement, his voice, his patience, his provision. Today, I want to invite us to simply close our eyes for a moment, maybe bow our heads. I want us to, to reflect for a second because there's some of us today, I sense that God is wanting to help some of us break free from the doubt that we've been gripped by. Some of us, we, we've been crippled by fear or anxiety. We've, we've been kind of locked in this place and God wants to help us move forward. But today, it's not just because of our personality or our gifts, our strength that helps us break out of where we're at. It's hearing his voice. It's understanding his patience. It's receiving his provision. Today, there's some in this room who maybe you need to make the decision to put your trust in Jesus. You want to know that your debt is paid. Your sin is forgiven. You have a fresh start with God. In a moment, we're going to pray for that as well. Today, across this room, maybe there's some who are just saying, Tyler, I, I'm, I'm battling doubt. I'm battling fear. If that's you, would you just, just hold a hand up just for a moment and say, yeah, that's me. That's me. I'm walking through that right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lots, lots of us. Yeah. Friend, understand, God, God sees you and he loves you right where you're at, but he's also not content to leave you there. For whatever it is you're up against, he's got mercy. He's got mercy. 
Second, I, I want to pray for those who maybe you need to make that decision to put your trust in Jesus. If that's you today and you say, you know what, Tyler, I want a fresh start with God. I want to put my hope in Jesus. If that's you, would you just raise a hand? Just hold it up for a moment. Say, yeah, that's me. That's me. Thank you. Thank you. Others would say, yeah, that's me. That's me. Today's my day. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Jesus, I thank you for what you're speaking to our hearts today. God, doubt is a very real thing. And I thank you that even in the story of Gideon, we see your patience continue to show up. But that patience isn't to enable us to stay there. It's actually, it's that mercy that will help motivate us to, to move and to step as you are leading and guiding our lives. So we need that. We need that type of mercy. So God, I pray that it would be poured out over every heart, every mind, every life today. God, help us this week as we face the fears, the, the doubts, the, the voice that sometimes is so loud in our lives of insecurity or worry. God, that we would allow the voice of faith to be louder. That we would allow your voice to be louder. God, thank you for your patience in our lives and the way that it shows up time and time again. And God, I pray that we would understand we have mercy for where we are at and Lord, I pray that we would understand this great provision that we've received because of the work that Jesus has done for us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Today, for those, some of you, you raised your hand. I'm gonna invite all of Life Center to pray this prayer with those of you who maybe are praying this for the very first time, that you wanna know that your debt is paid, your sin is forgiven. Would you join me in this prayer today, Life Center? Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. I put my trust in you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new creation. Help me to follow you every day of my life. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those who are making that decision today? I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet all across this room. As you do, our pastors and prayer team will be down front. If there's anything we can agree with you in prayer on, we would love to have you do that. Don't, don't be afraid to walk forward and receive some prayer. And again, we're not gonna dismiss this gathering. We don't dismiss church around here. We send the church because we don't just go to church. We are the church. So let's go, let's be the church this week. God bless, we'll see you soon.